cheese back on my cracker. I am Ashley Nicole. And I'm Paige Benjamin of Atomic Travels. Thank you for joining us today as we have another great discussion on different aspects of mental health in our community coming right up after a word from our sponsors. Hey, it's Ashley Nicole. I appreciate y'all for listening and hopefully you're all getting your, keeping your cheeses on your crackers. I'm dropping in on this episode to give you some goodies. Have you been wanting to get into the podcast game and don't know where to start? I got you. I have answers. If you haven't already heard about Anchor by Spotify, it is the easiest way to make a podcast. Anchor has everything you need all in one place. Anchor has tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. When hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast on listening platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. Let me say it again, um, in case you missed it. Everything that you need to make a podcast is conveniently in one place. And best of all, Anchor is free. Free 99, zero dollars, zero cents. So go ahead, download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm and get started now. I can't wait to listen to your podcast too. Welcome to this episode of Getting My Cheese Back on the Cracker. I am Ashley Nicole. I am Paige Benjamin. And in this episode of our Mental Health in Black America series of Getting My Cheese Back on My Cracker, we will be, um, we have the ladies and the gentlemen from the previous episodes, and we'll be um, joining for this candid conversation on this very special topic. Let's meet our panelists. Paige. Um, hi, everyone. I'm Paige Tucker. Um, I am owner and operator of Be Your Best You LLC, coaching and consulting agency. I'm also author of the book, Hashtag Single Season, and I am a nationally certified uh, mental health first aid instructor for both youth and adults. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Devin. Hello, everybody. Uh, my name is Devin White. I am a licensed clinical social worker. Um, from the great state of New Jersey, um, working with adolescents and youth, as well as adults. Thank you, thank you. Um, Tisa. What's up, everybody? I'm Tisa Harris. I am a lifestyle blogger, so I have the blog, Gracefully Speaking, and the podcast, Gracefully Speaking. Um, I'm an Army veteran, and currently I am a grad student uh, pursuing my master's in mental health counseling with a concentration on rehabilitation and substance abuse, and I have a vested interest in working with uh, Black men, veterans, and young adults, and people in the criminal justice system. Thank you, and Nicholas. It's all good. I'm about to try to do a better intro than I did last time. Hey, what's going on? I'm Nick Pratt. Um, I'm a rapper slash uh, diversity and inclusion trainer slash community builder slash black as fuck. Simon. Come on with it. And Miss Jacqueline. 
Hi, I'm Jacqueline Jackson, known as Jackie. I'm the founder and executive director for the Royalty Project, which is a cultural enrichment initiative um, that promotes positivity, positive self images and self-esteem amongst youth of color. Um, we also recently launched a race-based implicit bias training. So we're extending our education and our resources to support companies to develop a strategy around diversity and inclusion for recruiting and retention of black employees. Thank you. Great to have y'all here today. I agree, I agree. So during this conversation, we will have a discussion about what mental health means to the black community and how it affects us. Considering the repeated attacks on individuals in our community and the current climate of civil unrest and the pandemic, what does being black in America mean to you? How do you feel it relates to our current mental state as a community? Um, I'd like to bring up a quote that was repeated on both episodes, right? Um, uh, paraphrasing the great James Baldwin, uh, the uh, to be black in America is to be in a constant state of rage. Um, that was, although we had two separate episodes and neither party was actually able to see um, each other's episodes, it was interesting to see that same quote being brought up um, in both episodes. Um, I would like to first ask Jacqueline, um, you know, what, um, what moved you to bring that quote of all things um, and then I'd like the rest to speak on um, having heard it from both sides. Um, what are your thoughts on that um, as far as the quote itself and, um, you know, what it is to be Black in America? Okay, so the question to me was what provoked me to bring up the quote? Yes. Okay, so um, I think it was provoked by the question that was posed and it was, what does it mean to be black in America? And um, James Baldwin's quote for me and for a lot of black Americans resonate and it's very accurate, but I also extended um, my reason for, for using that quote is it's that we are in a state of rage if you are relatively conscious, but then also what is rebellious and what is also um, living in a state of activism is to find black joy, to actively figure out and find and exhibit black joy, which is also an act of rebellion, rebellion in my opinion. Thank you. Um, I, I want to go to Nick. Um, you stated something very profound to me, at least. Um, you said to be Black in America is to feel like a person and not a citizen. All right. Um, you did expound into that, what that actually meant to you is um, not being protected or valued as a Black man in this country. Um, you know, what, um, through your experiences, I mean, some of what you discussed, um, made you feel as though that that was how you feel? Because um, we had a limited amount of time, I know, but you know, what makes you feel that you're seen as a person, not a citizen? Um, I don't know that I'm always, I don't know that I feel like I'm always seen as a person, right? 
as black people, I, I know we can find the humanity in each other. I don't know that the rest of the world always chooses to see it in us, uh, whether or not that's been a, you know provoked or what have you. Um, I think for me though, not feeling like a citizen um, and just feeling like a person that's in the country, right? Um, is exacerbated when it's election time, right? And I go to an elementary school up the street from my house to vote and there's 18 machines in there and only three of them work. And we've been waiting in line for three hours, right? Um, or where there are other places in the country where they're asking for all different types of voter ID and whatever types of things to disenfranchise us from being able to do that, right? Um, when I'm in the midst of any type of altercation that the police might be involved in and somebody else might be there who's not black, right? How I'm immediately on the defensive as opposed to being able to just state what happened from my perspective and have that taken into account um, at the same rate that the other person may or may not have had, you know? Um, don't let there not be someone else there <laughs> and it's just me just getting stopped by the police just because bro like you know I, I feel like target practice um and purge you've been there you 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 know what's going on you know what I'm saying so it's like um it's hard to to feel like a citizen when I know you know when I've had to study the constitution at some point when I've had to read the bill of rights at some point when I've heard lawmakers and politicians uh, talk about, you know, what it means to be a citizen in this country, but I see myself and people who look like myself not able to experience those same benefits, right? Like, I, I don't believe it. I don't believe that I have true citizenship here, right? Uh, on paper, sure. Uh, when it matters most, when it counts, when it's for my protection, rarely. Okay. Um... Thank you for um, expounding on that. Another thing, another theme that I noticed in both the men's and the women's um, episode was the the different adjectives to express um, being tired or exhausted or living in fear. Um, I would like to start with a uh, page. Um, you mentioned that we was um, it was you were always in defense heavyweight on your um, shoulder after listening to um the men's panel and digesting the the episode would you can can you expound on that just a bit for us um just to kind of keep going on i feel like for us we're always seeking that opportunity to um to rest that we just don't have our counterparts can just move in ways that we just can't um, kind of like touching on what I said the last time is like, you know, when you see the cops pull behind you, that feeling you get, our counterparts don't get that, you know? Um, and so we're just constantly on the defense. We're constantly in this heightened state and, um, it's just, it's just difficult. So that's why I describe being black in America as tough because we never get to rest. So like, if you find yourself, like when you get home, you're just like dog tired. 
And half the time, you're like, why am I so tired? I barely did anything today. It's because just being Black in America is tiring because you're always on the defense. Like, even now, I'm going to jog, right? You can't even peacefully jog. You see somebody, you know, a white person coming or the cops come. You're like, oh, wait a minute. Like, what did I do wrong? Um, anytime you hear a siren or see a siren or somebody screams or somebody does something, you're always like, well, what did I do wrong? Are they looking at me? You know, and so that in itself is very tiring. So even when you look like I, I mentioned before, our health, why do you think we're being affected at a disparate rate, um, a disproportional rate by coronavirus? Because our immune system is compromised because we're constantly stressed out, stressed out. So being black, black in America, unfortunately, is stressful. And then it's like, we kind of talked about the whole gender roles thing, right? So now we have this battle of black man, black woman too. So you come home and sometimes you'll even get the rest that you need at home because of what's going on, right? So it's just really tough for us as a people to really um, just be and just be comfortable and mm -hmm. just enjoy life in the way our counterparts do. Like just to watch non-black people just navigate society so freely you almost get jealous, <laughs> you know, you're almost jealous, like, why can't we do the same thing, you know, why we always got to be worried about something happening, and so, um, yeah, I think that just pretty much is where, how I feel about it in terms of being Black in America, it's just, we don't get the rest, and, you know, it would be great to have a time when we, when we can, but I don't know if, if that time is going to come, because even in terms of, you know, like having to fight for our rights. So like on my radio show, I do this thing. We do this thing called Black in the Day. So right now we're looking at things that happened during the civil rights era. Why are we still talking about the same stuff 55 years later? And why are these speeches that were given 55 years ago still relevant today? It's like, are we making any progress? What is happening? Are we in the twilight zone? Like, what's really going on? So when you look at that and we're just constantly reliving, reliving the trauma every single day, that makes it really tough to be Black in America. And I have to even say, like, as someone that doesn't have kids, I question, like, do I want to bring kids into this? into this world you know I would love to be a mother but is it selfish of me to knowingly bring a child into this environment that I know that they're going to be stressed out that I know they're going to be instantly judged because of how they look so that's a tough tough decision that I battle with every day and that's oh, what that's, being black in America is oh wow thank you very much I appreciate that you got um, thank you Paige we, we do appreciate that um, thank welcome. you clarification that additional information so even with all of this being said and even um dev you you were one of the um your response was similar to that about it being a constant battle from a clinical standpoint um how do you think i guess how do you deal with that with the, the children that you work with how do you deal with them or how do you see them coming in dealing with that constant battle that we're having so so I'll, I'll speak to, uh, so one thing, I'll speak to a few things, right? So like the the fatigue that like everybody's talking about, like that's a physical reaction to trauma, right? So like we're we're ex vicariously experiencing trauma, like by watching it and seeing all these, like all the videos, because there's always a story, right? There's always a hashtag, unfortunately, there's always another person, right? Um, the fact that it's saved their names, right? All these women, right? 
um, mm -hmm. the fact that there's all these things, right? Um, so like being able to like see that and then internalize it, like it's a being tired is a physical reaction to the trauma. So that's one. Um, in terms of so, so for me, it's a little different um, because like some kids don't really understand what's going on right now um, as much. They kind of have an idea, um, but it may not be internalized as much as it will be with an adult. Um, with some adults, uh, again, like the constant state of being on the edge and not really knowing why um, or knowing why, right? Um, and there was a second part to your question, but I forgot what you said. Because yeah. I think I think you asked me like three different questions. Because uh, I want I want to make sure I want to make sure I answer them all. I think it was I think it was primarily um, from a clinical point of view. How do you see um, being being tired? Uh, you pretty much answered the question, right? Um, yeah. You know, to be tired as a black person in America is to be constantly going through a trauma um, mentally that continues to drain us, right? Mm -hmm. And um, it's one of those things where, um, you know, if, if you're constantly worried about something or constantly, um, you know, are in a um, state of fear, you know, it, it can be tiring, you know, mm -hmm. um, you always on the guard. Um, that actually leads to another statement that was said, right? Um, it's, it's getting harder and harder to prove that the police have our best interest in mind. Um, that was brought up by Nick. So Tisa, um, coming from the military, um, as a military background, you know, um, do you struggle with being a black woman or a black person in America and having confidence that the police have our best interests in mind? I know during the last episode, you had mentioned the restrictions of being in the military as a black person, which you can and cannot say, and how sometimes, um, that that puts you in a deeper state of rage, right? Um, so, what are your thoughts on um, does the police have our best interests in heart? Um, as a vet, um, are you expected to say yes by default, or are you treated the same because without your uniform, they just see you as another black person? Um, initially, like they just before you open your mouth to say like i'm a veteran i'm a soldier sailor whatever the case may be they just see you as a black person it's not until you be like oh well i serve my country and then you get like a different type of approach and then some they just really gonna give a shit like because they still see you as a black person regardless because you still like even within the military you have some people that carry that same mentality in the uniform but you're supposed to be you know my brother you're supposed to be my sister but it's just, it's hard because like when people was talking about, you know, kneeling for the flag and all of that, like every day, you know, 6.30 in the morning, I'm saluting the flag and this flag does nothing to represent me. But if I don't, you know, like I can get punished for that. And those things, like some people be like, oh, and I used to try to tell people, you know, like some of us, we do it because it's our job. It's like, it's not because we're necessarily patriotic, but it's how we feed our families. It's how we eat. It's how we survive. But people, they don't really see that. Like they see the uniform, but they don't see the person. Or if they do see the person, they just see you as a black man or woman. They don't care about anything else. So 
to answer your question about like, you know, do I feel like the police protect me? No, because as a black woman, like I know what it feels like to have a police follow you. I know what it's like to have, you know, the police pull you over and pat you down. Like, and it's the worst experience in the world. Like I remember um, in college going to take my cousin somewhere. And initially when the cops pulled me over, they was like, oh, your taillight is out. So I'm like, okay. But that quickly turned into, I need to search your car. Do you got drugs in your car? You know, y'all get out and pat him down and searching my stuff and pat me down. Mind you, then I was no more than a book 30, maybe, you know, like I'm like five, four, you know, shirt on tight pants. Like you could clearly see if I had, you know, anything in my pockets or whatever, but just to have, you know, like a grown man, you know, like putting his hands on you and, and then take that. And I've had experience with being, you know, like molested or whatever. So to take somebody and, you know, like, I don't know you from a can of paint and you're putting your hands on me. And I'm telling you, like, I have nothing, you know, like we have nothing. My cousin, he's underage. Like you just assume that because he's a black, you know, young man that we're, I'm taking him to do a drug deal, but that's not the case at all. And you're coming up and I'm having to do breathalyzers. I haven't given you any indication that I've been drinking or driving or anything, but you pulled me over with the sole intentions of, you know, giving me a ticket or whatever. Like you was looking for something when you had nothing to look for in the first place, but your excuse was I had a tail light out. But mm -hmm. your whole reaction had nothing to do with, you know, my tail light being out. So that experience kind of shaped so much for me. And when it comes to dealing with the police and then, you know, like seeing uncles and, you know, cousins and stuff being arrested and dealing with the police and visiting people in jail and prison. So I just, I hate the sound of sirens or anything. So I, I never really feel that safe um, when I'm in the presence of some people who wear the uniform, but I also have family members who wear the uniform. So it's always a a weird thing because for the most part I don't like it I don't feel safe but at the same time I know people who you know are good people but the police don't pol police the police so yeah it's, it's so, just a hard subject and, and so I have a question for everyone um you know I think for the most part when outside of our community people think that this treatment is just towards the inner city right um and if if anybody's gone to the suburbs, it's almost as bad, right? I'll give you an example. Um, I'm in the suburbs of Atlanta, outside of Atlanta. Um, and, uh, um, you know, I'm outside of my, my family's house waiting to get in the garage. And I literally got a look from a gentleman in his car. Like, I think he looked at me more than he looked at the road as he passed the property, you know, just to make sure that it was safe. And, you know, I was saying this, and I was like, you know, watch him come back because he's probably going to check to see if we're still here or if we're still, you know, scoping the place out. Um, do you guys find it that um, inner city cop behavior and um, suburban cop behaviors are similar or different? Um, and then have you guys experienced it? Um, anybody can kind of like jump on that one. Me personally, I think it's pretty much the same because whether you're a cop in the inner city or a cop, you know, in the suburban area, if you have that mentality that 
black people are threatening you, it doesn't matter what zip code you're, you know, policing in, like, because you carry that mentality everywhere you go, and some people, they're pretty for the simple fact they think that you don't have, you know, a reason to be there, like, I pay my, you know, taxes, I pay my rent, I pay my mortgage, like, I pay to live here, so there's no reason for you to question me, regardless of, you know, what I look like, if I pay my bills, and I'm not bothering anybody, leave me the hell alone, and go on about your business, but like I said, it's a mentality thing, so if you carry the mentality, like what the poor people say, you're going to have that same mentality, wherever the rich people say. Um, I can't say for for um, in terms of like interacting with the police, police, but I can just say living in, I guess, more of a suburb. So like, um, I've been living in my neighborhood for probably like two and a half years, and I'm like one of the only Black people in the neighborhood. And when I first moved in, I was changing the locks, and I locked myself out of the house, and <laughs> I. And I was trying to get back in. And my fear was, if somebody sees me, are they going to believe that this is my house, that I own this house? Or am I going to get arrested? Am I going to get beat up? Am I going to get killed? Because they think I'm breaking into someone's house. And I felt like that is not a feeling I should have felt. But that was my greatest fear. It wasn't, can I get back into my house? It was, am I going to die in the process of trying to get my door unlocked? And so I think that was um, kind of like a, like a wake-up call for me of just like, I'm not as secure as I think. And even just a matter of like um, renovating my house. Like my family came down and they, we were, you know, all these black people outside, they doing the lawn, they painting, they doing all of this. And the neighbors who never spoke to me, I've been in the house for six months. Now all of a sudden everybody will come and introduce themselves. Well, what's going on? Well, what you doing? And blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, do you really care? Or are you just trying to figure out why all these black people are in the yard? So, you know, and I even said, oh, well, we having a party next, uh, tomorrow. Come on by. If, you, if you're if you real, you're going to come to this cookout and grab a plate if you really just, care about knowing just, me. One lady did show them, up. Go ahead. Just tell them, just tell them no raisins in the, uh, in the uh, potato salad. Oh, yeah. I told them don't bring nothing. We got all the food. Just show up, you know, because we don't do that. Um, but, you know, and since then, I mean, I've been able to kind of build a rapport, but it's just those little things that you think aren't really a big deal, but they really are. Okay. Okay. Nick? Um, I jump in. So I, um, I don't know. I've been accosted by police everywhere, um, in the hood, in the suburbs, near the airport, in the airport, um, in the mall. I, it, it doesn't really, it doesn't really matter. I don't think like the location. I think it's more so the blackness, um, the blackness, the other things that that add on to the blackness being intimidated. Um, my hair is locked up now, but you know it was in afros and braids before this. Uh, tattoos being visible at all, um, facial hair, not smiling. You know what I'm saying? Like all of these things, I think. Um, make you look like uh you know like a suspect or you know um like somebody that they might be looking for right i don't i don't know i'm i'm not sure but um i i've been pretty much in any type of environment 
and if there's been police there, um, yeah, it's been it's been the same type of treatment. Um, I think Atlanta, since I've been here the last three years, um, like it's a lot of black police, right? Like not not all, not all, not by not by a long shot, but it is a lot of black police officers. Um, I have had and I haven't had like a bad experience with the ones in Atlanta, like Atlanta, Atlanta Police Department, even though they're not great. Um, and I'm sure that y'all have seen on the news how people feel about them. They're not great. Um, but I haven't had any personal run-ins with them. Um, but like, just go a little bit south, come down to, to Clayton County. Um, the black police officers down here, um, I, I don't know if y'all remember, um, don't be a menace to South Central while drinking your juice in the hood, but they hate black pepper. Um, <laughs> it, it is it is it's sad you know what i'm saying um and this is this is black cops you know and so it's not to mention all of the white cops because shit the year that i moved down here was the same year that that white cop was telling that white woman to relax we only kill black people um that was in cobb county that was where i moved to when i first came out here shit purge i think that's where you at now uh or no you're like a county over or something nigga um <laughs> but, um you know uh the the run-ins ain't been sweet it ain't it ain't mattered where i've been at um you know they it ain't a lot of love for us in my experience i think for me i'm gonna just jump in real quick that's <laughs> hilarious by the way um so like going so i went to school in atlanta and like the atlanta cops so there's a lot of lot of uh like black police uh, in Atlanta, but it is some some cops that it doesn't matter because this is a saying that I'm sure a lot of folks have heard, like all skin folk, all skin folk and kin folk, um, and it's a lot of those um, scattered everywhere, scattered everywhere. But I've seen some run-ins with some folks uh, with Atlanta PD, but that's a, a separate thing. But I had to talk about that because that's funny. Um, uh, but like I feel like I've only so there's certain places in Jersey that you know that you have to go extra slow if you're black because it's a good chance you'll get pulled over. Um, and I feel like I've only gotten pulled over in places where it's predominantly either white or somewhere that is not a lot of black people. And I've only, and I've only felt uh, like nervous in those areas. Um, Cause like you drive around the hood, like there's no, like it's really no, no issues from the cops out there. They don't um, come around. I'm right, just, I'll right, be honest. So, I'm in, right, so in my neighborhood, in my neighborhood, you can park in front of all the hydrants. Nobody yeah. gets a ticket. Um, yeah. They only show up for domestic abuse or if somebody's doing something egregious in the area. Right. But egregious is, has to be something massively Like bad. massive, like Rico, like a major drug bust or something crazy like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but like, yeah, so like, stuff like that so being like driving around just because i've like drive all around jersey so like driving around certain places at night like by the shore like you can't do that i mean you can but you got to be extra careful because cops down there or by the shore like ready to pull black folks over just because not a lot of black folks there and a lot of black folks that are down there they assume they're down there for uh like drug related purposes that's a whole that's a whole nother thing um but yeah so i've, I've seen yeah, to, I've, to add to the shore statement that the shore is one of the most wealthiest sections in the state right right 
Right. So if you drive down there, they're they're more so looking out for property mm -hmm. than they are looking out for anything people. else. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So that's all. That's all I got for that piece. I'll jump in to answer the question. Also, um, I can only sympathize with my people, or particularly my brothers, for run-ins with the police. Um, because I've never had to experience that level of aggression or had to had to tame or calm my reaction to someone who's hyper aggressive to me. Mm -hmm. But what I do experience as a woman is microaggressions and also prejudice and discrimination in a more subtle way. And I have experienced it very differently in urban areas as opposed to rural areas. So for instance, um, I've met, maybe many of you have had the same experience. I was born and raised in um, New York City, urban New York, Queens, New York. And I went to school in the middle of Pennsylvania. And um, the culture shock in itself, um, and then the fascination of people, one, being from New York, two, being Black, was immense like it just it was massive so the questions about from people who had never met a black person in, in person before or who never experienced a black person in person before those kind of um questions being objectified um from female and male non-black people um it's just it's it's been for me a very different experience from people who had an opportunity to interact which there's still prejudices, there's still microaggressions, like little things that people say around the office or questions that they might ask you about your hair or just little different things. But in, in, in more remote places where they don't have as much experience one-on-one -on -one with black people, it's like, it's, it's obsession. Um, this woman walked up to me in the airport one time and just touched my hair. Like just, just, your hair, and but it's also cloaked with um, a compliment, mm -hmm. so it makes it easier for you. So it actually gives you the permission to stare longer or to try to touch my skin or my hair. So those are the things that I feel are different between like discrimination or objectification of being black in a in a more urban area as opposed to a rural area. All right. As we sign off, we want to remind you that it's okay to not have your cheese on your cracker and that we're here to work towards getting there together.